Okay, tell me if this sounds familiar. You're talking to a potential customer, explaining all the features and benefits of your product or service, and they're nodding along. Whatever you're selling makes perfect sense for them. You know it would help. And then they say, great, let me think about it. And then it's crickets. Or you spend months chasing them without ever closing any meaningful sale. If that's the cycle you're spinning your wheels on, my guest today is Matthew Pollard, and he's going to tell you a much better story. One where you don't have to give a hard sales pitch, and the customers convince themselves that they need to buy from you because now they instinctively trust that you really are the best option, the only option, and your competition is no longer a consideration. Get ready for your masterclass on selling more and growing faster. Please welcome Matthew Pollard, the Rapid Growth Guy. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me because I hear from David, who I just interviewed in my last one, who you're meeting with later, that your schedule is insane and that if it weren't for today, you'd be meeting with him like three months from now. So I appreciate your time. I listened to your latest book, The Introvert's Edge on Audible, which lays out your system for creating a strong sales strategy for any type of business. And I should state from the record that like after listening to it, I don't think in any way you have to be an introvert to take advantage of it. There's a lot of stuff that shows how even extroverts can benefit from it, maybe even more so, I think, because it's a way of thinking about how you're acting throughout the whole process. So we're going to dig into all that in a minute. But first, I was hoping you could tell us a story. When I first heard you speak, you started out with a presentation about one of your clients came to you to learn how to sell her business of teaching other people Mandarin, you know, teaching business people Mandarin if they had to go to Asia for a business trip. And she was struggling to raise her rates and make enough to justify the time when she was spending on it. And I was hoping you could recap that story real quick and how you helped her because it's one of your key principles, I think, which is personal branding and creating a story. Yeah, definitely. Well, firstly, thanks very much for having me on. I'm ecstatic to be here. I think that a lot of people, when they get me on, especially because of my background, they're like, all right, can you talk about sales? And because you've heard my presentation beforehand, I mean, that gives us a great advantage because one of the big things that I sort of try and highlight, and I think this helps, as you said, for introverts and extroverts, is that if you focus purely from a sales tactical improvement process, the problem you're going to have is you can only do so much. So one of the big things that I sort of focus on is helping people understand that sales is actually step three in any customer acquisition strategy. And what I mean by that is there are some things you can do beforehand that really allow you to maximize and make more money and make the sales process easier. Now, for the introverts that are there, that doesn't mean that you don't have to learn the process of selling. We'll talk about that shortly. But what we really need to understand is there is a lot you can do in improving the ability that you have to sell. But what you do need to do first is step back and spend just a little bit of time making it easier on yourself. And the best example I can give you is the story that I sort of shared at a presentation just recently, which is a customer called Wendy. She's a language coach out of California. She taught kids and adults Mandarin. And the biggest problem she had was not only did she have to deal with all these new competitors moving into the market that were willing to charge less than her, but she also had to deal with the fact that there were people teaching people how to speak Mandarin on Craigslist now from China, thanks to this new global economy we had to live with, that were willing to charge $12 an hour, and she's trying to charge 50 to $80 an hour. And then thanks to our friends in Silicon Valley, there are people offering, I'll teach you Mandarin for free, you teach me English for free, and now there's these great platforms to allow those people to find each other. So she was struggling to keep her current clients, she was struggling to get new clients, and she came to me for sales advice. She said, Matt, can you teach me how to compete in this crowded marketplace? And the truth is I could have taught her some sales strategies that would have made her life a little bit easier and allowed her to succeed in getting a few additional clients, 
but she's still competing in a really crowded marketplace. And the only thing she was competing on really was price. So what I did was I looked at all the customers that she'd worked with in the past. And what I realized is that there were two customers and it really was only two. These were executives being relocated across to China and she helped them with three major elements above and beyond just learning Mandarin. The first one was this concept called Galaxy. And I know when I say that, people think I'm talking about outer space. But what I actually mean by that is, I mean, it's actually the Chinese word for rapport. So, you know, if I'm sitting in a sales meeting and 45 minutes into the meeting, I'm probably going to want to close the deal in the Western world. And if I'm a bad salesperson, I'm going to say something like, you know, do you want to move forward? And you might say yes, no, or everyone's favorite. Let me think about it. Now, if somebody says that a week from now, I know the chances of getting that sale are just keeping on going down. Well, in China, they're going to want to meet with you five or six times before they even discuss business. They're probably going to want to see you drunk over karaoke once or twice. And the reason for that is they're not talking about your 12, 24-month deals, even your transactional deals like we do in the US and in Australia where I'm from. They're talking about 50 to 100 year contracts. And because of that, I mean, it's longer than a lot of people's lifetimes. They want to know the kind of person they're getting into bed with. So that was the first thing she helped them understand. The second thing she helped them understand, the difference between e-commerce in the Western world and e-commerce in the East. And third, probably the most vital was the importance of respect. Simply learning the language isn't enough. You're expected to reduce your accent as well. I mean, I just got back actually a while ago now speaking at Electrolux in Thailand, and it was for Electrolux vice president. So every person in the room, over 100 people in the room, commanded staff of over 1,000 people. Yet when I handed them my business cards, they held it, they cherished it, they looked at all the detail on the front, flipped it over, looked at all the detail on the back before bowing, putting it in the card case and continuing the conversation. Wendy helped them understand how vital these skill sets were. And I said, Wendy, you're doing so much more for these people than just private language tuition. What are you doing? And she said, well, I'm just trying to help. They're just a couple of things. I said, Wendy, you're stuck in your functional skill. Is it fair to assume as a result of the assistance you're giving these people, they're going to be more successful in China? And she said, well, I mean, yeah, that's the point. And I said, well, great. Why wouldn't we call you the China success coach? Why wouldn't we forget about Mandarin? Because that's something everybody's doing. Let's focus on these skill sets. I mean, she wasn't trying to do something new that she'd never done before. This was something she was doing anyway. And we created what we call the China success intensive, which was a five-week program working with the executive, the spouse, and any children being relocated across to China. Now, people ask me why the spouse and the children. Well, If you're selling to the spouse and the children, you can charge more, but also if they're not happy when you get to China, I mean, think about how hard that's going to be on the executive. So it's so important the whole family unit is successful when they get there. Now, Wendy loved this idea, but I mean, her next question is probably what a lot of people are thinking. Well, how do you sell that? Well, I said, well, who do you think your ideal client is? She said, well, obviously the executive. And I said, well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, when I moved from Australia to the United States, I was terrified and people here still speak the same language. I mean, imagine a whole new culture where everyone's speaking a completely foreign language. I mean, yeah, I mean, terrified person, but not your ideal client. Well, she said, well, obviously the company would pay. And I said, yeah, well, a lot of times these people have millions, if not billions of dollars riding on the executive being successful when they get there, but still not your ideal client. She looks at me frustrated and said, well, who is my ideal client then? And I said, your ideal client is your immigration attorney. She looked at me puzzled and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you think about it. In a marketplace of immigration, I mean, they'd be lucky to charge five to 7,000. And after all the bureaucracy, the paperwork, the cost of acquisition, which isn't cheap, they'd be lucky to make about $3,000 profit for helping a client get their visa to go to China. I said, so just offer them $3,000 for any successful introduction to the China success coach. They loved the idea. I mean, they were like, I can double my profit with a small introduction. What would I have to say? And she simply said, all you've got to say is simple. Congratulations, you've now got your visa. Now, I just want to double check you're as ready as possible to be relocated across to China. And they'd say something like, yeah, I think we're set. You know, we've got our visa. Thank you. We've got our place organized. We've learned the language. Kids are getting pretty good at it too. I think we're set. And they'd simply respond with, there's actually a lot more to it than that. I think you need to speak to the China success coach. When do you think got on the phone with the easiest sale in the world? I mean, think about it. These people were terrified to go. Their organizations were motivated to pay. It was recommended by their immigration attorney. And it was just the easiest sale in the world. I mean, Wendy got to charge $30,000 for this five-week program, which means after the commission check she paid the immigration attorney, she made $27,000 for the easiest sale in the world, as opposed to struggling every single day, hustling for a $50 to $80 an hour 
education that everybody else in the marketplace was undercutting her for. That's really the power of what I call a rapid growth or a unified message and understanding the marketplace you're selling to. Then once you've got that, then you can focus on sales. But until then, I mean, you can imagine with Wendy, she could have spent her entire rest of her life hustling, learning sales skills and getting gradually better and more clients while competing in that competitive market that kept taking people away from her as opposed to just getting her message right, understanding her market, and then, wow, sales just became easy. So what you gave her was this package, you know, China Success Coach. And that sums up in, like, few words what her benefit to people are. And you've done the same thing for yourself, which is create this little thing, and you're the rapid growth guy. And it's at the bottom of all of your emails is that's how you introduce yourself, essentially. When somebody asks, hey, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm the rapid growth guy. And I'm still trying to figure out what mine is, by the way. I keep thinking about it. Well, it's funny. I mean, we met at a seminar where I was speaking and I was at a convention full of marketers. And I said, you know, who here can, when they see a customer calls themselves a branding expert and everybody put up their hand. And I'm like, you guys are in branding and you've commoditized yourself. I'm blown away by this. Every time I speak to an audience of marketing people that say, oh, I'm in marketing. Well, that by definition means you're not very good at it right? The whole focus around marketing is to take yourself out of the commodity box. And what they've done instead is put themselves in it. So one of the things that I really focus on is imagine you're at a networking event. And I mean, you and I met and I was speaking from stage, but if we had met at a networking event and we were there and you asked me what I did and I said, oh, I'm a branding consultant or I'm a marketing specialist, you would have gone, oh, I've worked with a marketing consultant in the past. It didn't really work for me. And now I feel like I've got to go, what? no, I'm different. And I'm shoving something down your throat. And now I feel, especially as an introvert, really uncomfortable, inauthentic. It just feels wrong. Instead, I say, oh, I'm the rapid growth guy. Intrigued by that because you've never heard that before, you're going to respond with, I've never heard of that before. What exactly is it? Notice now I have your permission to explain why I'm different. Now, just that, turns the tables dramatically and allows you to get more clients. But then I can respond with something as simple as, well, you know how a lot of small businesses, especially service providers, go into business for themselves because they want to create a great six-figure income that revolves around them, their family, and their life, not the other way around. Or maybe they just really want to build a business around doing what they love. But then they go into that business and they've had some people that say they'll work with them that all of a sudden aren't answering their phones anymore. And they go to networking events and say, oh, I do this. And next thing they hear is how much do you charge? Or maybe they go and do a massive sales presentation and do a big proposal and then watch the customer flip to the last page, look at the price and go, you're more expensive, we'll go with someone else. And constantly they feel devalued to the point where they may even be losing confidence in themselves because they see that everybody doesn't see the true value in what they do. Do you know anyone like that? And they're like, yeah, I'm like that. Well, of course they are because I went to the right networking event because I know that my ideal customer demographic are small business service providers. So I go to where those people hang out. If you're a PR agent going to networking events with other PR agents, guess what? They're not your ideal clients. They know how to do it themselves. So you go where your ideal clients hang out, but you need to have a message that separates yourself. All of a sudden they say, well, yeah, I'm like that. And I say, well, you may have found, and I then go into this whole explanation of what they may have found and then explain to them why it's not their fault and how no one teaches you this at school. And you think because you're great at your functional skill, it's going to allow you to be successful. But in truth, there are three really simple elements that nobody focuses on that allow them to be successful that no one ever knows. And they're all incredibly vital. And then I just put them in front of some free resources and say, you know, now's not really the time for us to really go into detail. You know, we're supposed to be mingling. You know, what I'll do is if you give me a card, I'll send you a great free resource that'll help you do it. They can't give me their card quick enough. And because of that, now they're chasing me to work with me as opposed to me hustling them to book a meeting so I can give them a demo or do a proposal. They're chasing me like I'm the celebrity. And that is the difference by having a unified message and then having a strong sales system at a networking event. The people get into business, they launch their business because they have that core skill that they're good at. But usually that core skill is not sales. Most of the time, we're going to be really great at that, but then we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to go out and market it or ourselves or our service to get to the point where somebody's going to buy it. So is it just storytelling or like, is there some other secret to selling? Well, the first thing is you need to realize you don't need to download everything that you have experience with in a 30-second meeting. 
there's a bunch of people that are probably listening to this. And if you were to go to a networking event and a couple of you might say when somebody is, what is it that you do? You go, well, it's complicated. Well, if it's complicated, I don't want to buy it. It's not what I want to be hearing. I want to hear that it's simple and it's easy. But to get that message, the real focus is that people want to explain everything they do in that sentence. Now, in truth, helping people be successful in China is not everything that Wendy knows, right? But by focusing on the three skills she did outside the scope of a functional skill, e-commerce, galaxy, and respect, all of a sudden we're saying the higher level benefit of that is China's success. All of a sudden, it excited her prospects. Now, when I did it, I'll give you an example. I mean, I'm a business coach. I'm a branding expert. I'm a social media strategist. I'm a sales trainer. I'm a marketing expert. I'm a master in NL neuro-linguistic programming. I mean, I'm so many things, nobody cares. They don't care how long I spent learning these things, how hard it was for me to learn it. But when I say I'm the rapid growth guy, I help predominantly small business service providers obtain rapid growth. The simplicity of that message gets me heard in a crowded marketplace. Well, it conveys the benefit really quickly. And that's a benefit people want. They're like, oh, I want that. But it's also like it leaves enough out that then they have to ask you about it. Absolutely. Now, when they then ask you about it, the key to sales is not telling them everything that you do. It's telling them a story. For instance, what I'll do is I'll say something like it's not their fault. You know, they don't learn. I'll give you an example. And then I might tell them the story of Wendy. Now, at the end of hearing the story of Wendy, what have I actually done? Even at the start of this podcast, what I did was I told you a story that at the surface, it's actually incredibly educational, but slightly under the surface, it completely embeds my credibility and it helps people see that if they're a small business service provider, I'm the only logical choice to help them through that process. Now, for those people listening, that isn't me saying, hey, by the way, you need to contact me. As a matter of fact, I actually have a free template that you can download to really go through the process of achieving what Wendy did for yourself. That'll really help you create that unified message that excites and inspires prospects to want to know more and also allows you to discover a niche of willing to buy clients. Now, before I give you the link for that, the key for this working is you absolutely have to do it. I was blown away. I did an event. It was a 45-minute workshop in an event in Austin, Texas. And at the end of the event, I said, now put your hands up. Now, there was nearly 200 people in the room. I said, put your hands up if you now have a message that you feel is going to make you a lot more money, you're going to be excited to share with people at networking events, and you now have identified a niche of willing to buy clients you know will chase you to buy your stuff. And like 97% of the room put their hands up. The sad part is when I said, keep your hands up if this is more time than you spent on marketing since you started your business, bear in mind this was 45 minutes, 85% of the room kept their hands up. So the key to this template being successful is at the end of downloading it, what I want you to do is I want you to block out two hours in your schedule. Whenever it is, if the next chance you're going to get is a month from now, the likelihood is that's still going to be the best time for you to do it. So block out two hours in your calendar and then go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth. What you'll then get is a five-step process that'll really take you through the steps you need to create that message and discover your niche of willing to buy clients. Now, then what we've got to do is we've got to look at what the sales process is because now we've got this great message. People are going to ask us questions and there are two forms, right? You have to have a sales process for networking because there's a structured script that you should follow. And yes, by the way, I did say script. There's a structured script that you can follow to really create this unbelievable stepping stone process that leads people to want to have a sales conversation with you. And then there is also a stepping stone process for having a sales conversation. Now, the networking, there's two podcasts uh, episodes that I created. If you go to Better Business Coach Podcast, episode two and episode three, it actually gives you not only a complete structure for creating a networking spiel, but on top of that, it actually, if you go to the show notes, it'll actually give you the incomplete script that you can then copy and then change specifically to what your business is so that you can absolutely nail those networking events. So let's transition into sales. So the first thing I need you to understand, I mean, when you first started, you said the system helps introverts and extroverts. Everybody can learn this process. Here's the difference. An introvert will hear a sales process. And while they may have some issues with creating a structured system because they're worried about it being authentic or not, they'll gravitate to it once they realize it works. Because let's face it, we suck at selling until we have a process. The extroverts don't suck at selling. They have this natural ability. Now, in truth, a process will always outsell a natural ability 
over the long term. You know, I've seen extroverts that their ability to sell is based on their mood. So, you know, they have a great day of sales. The next day they have an even better day of sales. Then they have a fight with their husband or their wife or their son or daughter and their sales slump. An introvert, on the other hand, has this ability to learn a process in a system and then they hold onto it for dear life. And because of that, they get gradually better over time and they'll end up being able to outsell an extrovert hands down. Not because they are better at learning scripts than extroverts, but an extrovert will keep running back to wanting to throw in a bit of natural flair, which is actually to their detriment. Now, selling the way I see it is a series of steps, each one leading to the next. And if it's done well, it shouldn't involve any bulldog techniques. It shouldn't involve any hard closing whatsoever, right? It should be just this natural step-by-step process that leads to a sale. The problem is most people get the order of these steps wrong, forget steps, and then at the end, it becomes this really awkward, so do you want to move forward? Then, of course, they get that answer, let me think about it, or how much does it cost, because they just handled it the wrong way. So for me, the first thing let's address when I talk about sales systemization is people are like, oh, well, does that mean I've got to prepare something? Do I need to have a script? Well, yeah, you do. And here's why. Because if you know exactly what you're wanting to say, you don't get stuck in your head trying to figure it out. You can spend more time. It'll actually help you be more present in a sale because instead of worrying about what you're going to say and what angle you need to take with the customer, then you'll be more focused on what's going on with them, what their body language is, what they just said, instead of what you're thinking about you should be saying. One of the things you mentioned in the book too is it takes emotion and mood out of it. You know, whereas the extrovert, you know, if they're having a bad day, their pitch may be way off. You know, with this one, if you have something you can go to, you don't have to worry about how you're feeling or what's going on outside in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It just simplifies it. Well, this is the thing. So for me, and you know, everybody's different, but when somebody says no to me, I feel bad. And I don't want to feel bad in selling. So how do you not feel bad in selling, right? When somebody at McDonald's says, do you want fries with that? And the customer says, no, I don't. The person doesn't go home and go, oh my God, I don't feel like a happy person in my life anymore. They're just like, well, I just said the thing I was told to say. It was part of the script. They said, no, I've got to expect that there's going to be no's, but I'm following the process. In sales, how is that any different? If you've got a solid process, when somebody says no, they're selling no to the process, not to anything else. That's what makes a powerful difference. But there's also one other key element to that, which is most people really have an issue with the script because they remember somebody calling them from, I don't know, the Philippines, from India, or from, I don't know, Texas somewhere. And they're like, hello, sir, can I talk to you about your telecommunications account? Well, yeah, they sound scripted. And they sound robotic because they're reading it for the first time or they haven't spent a lot of time practicing it. You don't believe me. Think back to the last movie you watched. Think about the best character in that movie. You know, I just actually just watched Gangs of New York. I'm not sure. Have you seen that movie? No. Gangs of New York is an amazing movie. Leonardo DiCaprio. He steals the show. I mean, he just is that character. He's amazing. But he's reading a script, right? He sounds authentic. He sounds congruent. He sounds like he's that character. He's reading a script. Now, of course the conversation is going to have some variability. But if you have 90% lockdown, we're following this process in this order, how much more comfortable are you going to feel in the sale? So now there are seven steps to the process, and we're going to focus on a couple of those elements today. But for the people that are listening that really want to understand the process, my publisher hates me when I say this, you don't have to buy my book. What you do need to do, though, is go to the introvertsedge.com And there you'll find that you can actually download the first chapter for free. It'll outline the full seven-step process. And if you do nothing more than write down those seven steps on a piece of paper, then go out, record what you say with a customer, or just role play it with a friend so you can record it, and then grab that recording, transcribe it, fit in what you currently say under those steps. And what you'll realize is a bunch of stuff doesn't fit. Guess what? You shouldn't be saying that to customers. (laughs) And then you'll realize there's a bunch of really gaping holes. And generally, you'll find that those who gaping holes will be asking the right questions and telling amazing stories. And probably for a lot of people, how to actually close the sale as well. We tend to, especially introverts, tend to um and ah our way through that. So there are going to be a couple of holes. And then once you've filled those holes, your sales ability will go through the roof. You know, one of the things that I say is if you do that, you'll double your ability to sell, double your closure rate, which means as a small business owner or any salesperson, you're going to double the amount of commission or profit you're making in your business within 60 days. One of the things about that process, you said when you hear a no, one upside is that 
you aren't so emotionally attached to that because it's not a personal attack on your ability or product. It's just the process, right? And so the flip side of that is that that's also very valuable feedback because you can say, okay, well, that script didn't work or this process didn't work this time. He said no to whatever part of it. I need to tweak that so that the next time it's a yes or it's at least an increased likelihood of a yes. And so that's an important thing too is don't just keep running with the same thing if you hear no a lot. That's a clue that you need to tweak the process a little bit. Absolutely. And I think the important thing for people to know is you need to treat your sales process like a science experiment. If you change seven things in the science experiment all at once, you don't know why the stuff that you put in there exploded. So you've got to figure it out. And the only way you can figure it out is by changing one variable at a time. So this sounds like a long process, but it actually doesn't take anywhere near as much time as you think. But what I always suggest is go in, structure your process, because if you do nothing more than just learn the process to the structure that I'm telling you, your sales will go up. So it's going to move you beyond that desperate, let's change something today, change something tomorrow, which is what you're currently doing, right? You're just blurting whatever you say that comes out of your mouth, but you're trying not to do what didn't work last time. So by just structuring the process, your sales will double. But then what you want to do is you want to improve it. So when you're improving it, there are a couple of things, right? Well, firstly, don't ask the customer if they want to buy. Ask them an innocuous question like, so would you prefer more of a day or a night course? And they'll be like, oh, I prefer a day course. Okay, now I know you're probably likely to move forward, right? Because I've already explained all the curriculum and everything like that. And then I'm asking you a question like that. It's kind of innocuous, but if you don't want to buy the program, you're going to go, oh, hang on a second, Matt. I'm not, I don't want to buy anything today. And I'm like, no, 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 it wasn't for that. What I was really just trying to do is get an understanding of what type of course you'd like to do because it requires different explanation. So I really just want to give you a bit more of an understanding of how that program looks for you. Now you feel awkward because you thought I was trying to sell to you and I've come across as consultative. So now you're going to give me the benefit of the doubt and go, you know what? I'm sorry, continue. But what have I learned? You're not ready to buy yet. I need to go back and focus on the other elements of the sales process because now there's a no in my future. So I'll circle back and do a lot more work leading up to that. And then I'm going to ask another trial close before I do what's called an assumptive close at the end, which is where I assume you're going to buy. And you know, that's one of the things I talk about in the book. People hate to be sold to. They love to buy. So don't ask them for the sale. Assume that they're going to do that. And in the book, I talk about exactly word for word what you do to get to that. But one of the things I find that most people really, really struggle with is actually going through the process of getting their customer on board. Because when they sit down with the customer, what they tend to do is just tell and tell and tell people about all the amazing things that they can do for them. And that's speaking directly to the logical mind. It's a good tactic in that you're asking a question that not just refines what they want so that you can make sure you're selling them what they want, because obviously that's going to make it a lot easier for them to buy if they're actually getting what they want. But it also, it gets you closer to a yes, because you're able to tweak the pitch to get to the thing that they're going to say yes to and learning at the same time. That's something we do with Bike Rumor when we're trying to sell an ad package, right? Is we learn that not everybody wants banner ads. So if we're just pushing banner ads on them, and they're not interested. We're just like beating our head against the wall. We've started offering these other things. And now it's kind of a like, hey, so what's worked for you guys and some other sites? Or how can we better tell your story? And then it's not like a yes or no question. Like that's a question they have to give you some detail for. And people like talking about themselves too. So when they say, oh, well, yeah, we'd love to blank, blank, blank. Or say, oh, well, you know what? We have this thing that this is how some other companies have done. This might get into the storytelling, right? Like then you say, well, this is how it's worked for XYZ bicycle company. And I think you guys would see really great results with something similar. And then they're like, either they're nodding their head yes or they're nodding their head no. And you can take that feedback to further refine the pitch. There are important elements like trust, rapport, credibility, and agenda. Those sort of come first. But then you've got the question process. Now, most people ask questions the wrong way and they feel like they have to ask lots of questions. A lot of times they already know what the customer wants when the customer first gets there. So they get straight into the, here's what we can do, or they start to sell off their brochures or ask, you know, what's worked for you in the past, those sorts of things. One of the most important things, I'll give you an example. When somebody calls me, they've already consumed a lot of my information. So I'll say something as simple as, so where are you at now? What are you struggling with? And how can I be the most help to you in the 30 minutes we have together today? Now they're going to vent and then I'll tell them a story and lead them down the sales process. Now on the flip side, if somebody I'm going through a sales meeting and maybe I'm selling an educational product of some sort, then I might sit down and say, what are the biggest problems in your business right now? 
you know, how are you seeing them as a problem? Well, that's an important question, right? So what are the problems in your business right now? Let's get a list of them. Now, I might only be able to help with one or two of those. So I'll say, I'm really interested in these two. How are you seeing them as a problem? Now, why is that question important? Well, if I'm saying, how are you seeing them as a problem? And they say, my staff members are telling me about them. Well, I'm probably less motivated to pay to fix them if my staff members are telling me about them as opposed to me seeing them firsthand, right? Well, once I explain to you that staff members really don't complain when they're happy in a job, but all of a sudden, if they're not happy in a job, they start to seem to complain about everything. So not saying this is going to happen to you, but if staff members are complaining, that might mean they're frustrated with a lot of things that are going wrong. Now, did you know how much it costs to replace a staff member these days? Like the average staff member, let's say they're getting paid $50,000. Actually, let's call it 120 because it'll keep the numbers simple. Just divide everything by two or so. But, you know, if we say 120000 well, if they leave, we know they've probably shirked for about three months, right? So we've probably lost about $5,000 a month in income because they're only working at half effectiveness. So now I've cost myself $15,000. Now I've got to hire someone else, which means I've got to go to an external recruitment company, hire someone. That's three months pay to get the new staff member. So now we're 30 grand in the hole plus 15. Now we're at 45,000. Then the new person, do you think they're going to be as effective as the other person was when they first start? No, they're going to take about three months to get to that level of effectiveness. So we're probably half effectiveness until then, which again, is another 15000 So now I've implied $60,000 worth of cost. That's not taking into account all the managers and trainers that need to help that person, the loss of customers, the loss of IP, all the things that go wrong. Do you think now the business owner is probably a little bit more excited about fixing the problem, right? This is a hugely expensive issue. So because of that, I've now put some real acid on that problem so that now they're motivated to fix it. If they say they're seeing is a problem, then I know they want to see it fixed. Then I'll say something, I'll ask them, you know, how they're seeing it as a problem, if they're seeing it as a problem, and then I'll start to talk about what it's costing them. I'll give you an example. I worked with an electrician out of, oh gosh, some random town in Melbourne, Australia, where I was out there selling education and they were having a conversation with me and they were like, we didn't really have any problems in our business. Now, this is the importance of knowing your niche, right? So everybody we spoke to a person that worked on a trade site. So I'd be like, really, you have no problems? Because the last 60 electricians I've spoken to in the last three months, they've got this problem, this problem, this problem. And the response they gave me was, oh, well, no, I've got all those problems, but I've got all these problems as well. Because now they trust me, right? They were a proud electrician. And they're like, who's this guy coming in to tell me I've got problems? But now I understand them, they're happy to share. So they then start sharing all of their other issues. And there was one problem specifically. And the major issue for it was, their staff members weren't cleaning up after themselves and they were showing up late to a couple of the appointments. Now, that sounds like a minor issue, right? So when I say, what's this really costing you? They're like, oh, nothing really. Like occasionally I've got to send them back to clean up after themselves. Not really a big deal, right? And occasionally they show up late, which means that maybe they finish late, so I'm paying them a little bit extra. And it turns out they were getting lost in the pub at lunchtime, which is why they were running late. So I said, okay, so it's not really costing much financially. What about the opportunity cost? And he's like, what? And I said, well, the opportunity cost. He looked at me puzzled. And I said, well, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you still go out and see clients? He's like, yeah, I see about 10 a month. I said, okay, you see 10 a month. He's like, yeah. I said, when you do 10 a month, how many referrals do you get? He's like, well, four or five. And I said, are they generally the smaller deals or the bigger deals? No, no, they're like the big deals. Like generally when we get asked, we work on somebody's house and they're like, oh, my office needs blah, 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 blah. So they're always ones, you know, there's a lot more money behind those. And I said, so those four or five referrals, what's the profit line on those? And they're like, well, you know, we make maybe $1,000 on a house, maybe four or $5,000 on a big deal that we get from referrals. So those four referrals to me are worth like $20,000. I said, okay, so 10 deals, the referrals are worth $20,000. He's like, yeah. I said, how many staff you got working for you? Five. Okay. How many referrals do they get? Oh God, they'd be lucky to get one. Interesting. So when they go and do a deal, they'd be lucky to get one referral. Let's call it one. Is it generally a big deal or a small one? No, no, generally just another really small deal. So they make like $1,000. I said, how many deals do they go and see every week? He's like, oh, they go and see about 10 deals a week, about 40 a month. Right, so you get $20,000 when you do 10 deals. They make 4,000, one a week, when they've done 40. So in theory, these people are losing you $19,000 a week in referral commission. Oh God, how are you getting clients? Well, we're spending a lot of money on advertising. Well, you wouldn't need to do that if they didn't show up late and clean up after themselves. Oh, you're right. So now we've got this multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in loss every year because their staff aren't cleaning up after themselves and probably coming in on after lunch late smelling like alcohol. All of a sudden we've realized they need customer service training, right? But then I've asked the next question. So is this stressing you out? 
emotional cost, right? Well, it wasn't before, <laughs> but now it is. But on top of that, think about other elements of the stress. I said, is there ever been like a Friday night where your staff members didn't clean up after themselves, but they weren't available, they weren't answering their phone and you had to go back? Because my wife is always telling me off about that. You know, I've got to always go and clean up after somebody on a Friday night. I've missed kids dance recitals. I've missed soccer tournaments. You know, I'm always really struggling with my wife because this is taking a lot out of my personal life. How motivated at this point do you think this person is to fix the problem? I'd say very. Now, a lot of people don't ask the right questions right? Even if I was to say something next, like, so how soon do you want to start fixing this problem? The answer is probably going to be right away. At the end of that, then I can transition to stories and tell them of an electrician that I worked with in the past that had the same problem, all of this stress, they now see and feel this, and then help them see that we got them to a positive outcome. Now that is what a well-structured sales process looks like. Can you see how different that looks than the way most people sell off a brochure or just telling them what they can do? Yeah. Like with the electrician example, you had the experience of having worked with a lot of electricians. So you kind of knew what the problems were. For somebody who doesn't have that level of background knowledge on the segment that they're going to, I think a lot of that comes with time and experience. But how can somebody start formulating the right questions to ask like that? Like what's the thought process? Just trying to like empathize and put yourself in their position or? Well, the first thing is that everybody that's in business for themselves has worked with customers in the past. This is what the template that I was telling you about at matthewpollard.com forward slash growth covers. It's that five-step process, right, to really understand it. Because here's the problem that I find. Most people, what they do is they focus on selling to anyone. You know, anyone's a good client. So now you're speaking to everyone, which is speaking to no one. The advantage I had, and this is especially important for the new people, the advantage that I had is I focused specifically on the trade demographic so I knew that audience. Now, if you've had 10 customers in the past, a few of them are probably from the same niche. Now, the worksheet forces you to make a choice of which demographic you're going to work with because that means you're speaking to them and all of your focus should be around securing that. So if you currently don't know the issues, go and see. Like, let's say I'd never spoken to an electrician before. Well, I go and see three electricians and I ask them a bunch of questions and it's likely one or two of them will open up and tell me about the problems they're experiencing. Maybe I ask some deeper questions. Now, maybe I don't understand them that well and they won't buy from me. But by the fourth electrician I see, I now have all this evidence of problems that electricians are having issues with, right? So now I'm like, oh, the last four account electricians I spoke to are having these problems. Do you have any of those? Why does this guy understand me so well? Yes, I do. Problem solved, right? But secondly, I can ask, what are the biggest problems in your business? And most people are going to tell me what their problems are. That's why they've asked me to come. Now, if your unified message is correct, then you're always attracting people with the same problems. And that's the thing that most people don't get. See, if I start in the sales process from a tactical perspective, well, people could have so many varying problems. So how could I tell them what problems they have? No, if your message is right, I mean, clearly I'm the rapid growth guy. So if I'm working predominantly with service providers, what do you think the most common problem that service providers that are asking for the rapid growth guy to come and speak to help them probably have? I would imagine they just want more customers. They're struggling to grow. They need more customers. What do you think the average person that's reaching out to the China success coach is having problems with or worried about? Paying a whole lot of money to send somebody over there and having them not like it and come back. Exactly. Or I'm an executive terrified of bombing out when I get there, right? Having a strong unified message, discovering a niche of willing to buy clients, crafting your packaging, your pricing, and all of your stories around that niche, and then selling. That's the three steps in the process. Most people start to focus on step three, which is why they flounder, because they're trying to create stories for every which where customer that might come up. They're trying to ask questions for every single group. And because of that, now you can systematize that because you can say, based on the average person that wants digital marketing, here's probably the questions that I need to ask. But why would you go to that? Why not just pick the unified message, discover the niche, create packaging, pricing, and stories for that group? So now when I go and see someone, I'm prepared. Now, of course, if you have to, if you're just listening and you are a salesperson, you can totally prepare because even in your industry, while you're allowed to sell to everyone, that doesn't mean you can't double down on a specific industry and go after that. Now, the biggest thing that I find is that when people are trying to do this, their hurdle is, yeah, but if I'm excluding people, that's going to make it harder to sell. Well, yes and no, because if I sit down with you and you're in digital marketing and I predominantly focus on hairdressers, then I'm going to find it harder to sell to you. But what am I going to spend my entire time doing? Trying to sell to hairdressers. I'm going to go and find hairdressers. So now I'm less likely to sit down with you. But here's the good news. If I do sit down with you and you're in digital marketing, 
I'm going to speak to you with the same bland message that everybody else does. So I'm not disadvantaged speaking to you, but what I'm focusing my active activities on are focusing on the exact customers that rallied in my course. Does that make sense? Where you have the biggest advantage. Exactly. Which makes sense. You play to your strengths. Exactly. We've heard some of the stories you use. Can you give us an example of a story that worked really, really well for one of your clients and how you helped them to create that? Absolutely. So I think one of the important things first is for people to understand why stories work. You've seen me deliver a story. You know, my keynote presentation is three really strong stories. When I do a podcast interview, one of the things that I always want to do is use one story that I can leverage back to so people can understand how that works. That's one of the biggest things in a sales process. It's one of the biggest things you want to do in networking. Make sure somebody's heard a story so they're like, oh, I want what Wendy has, right? That's the whole focus of stories. But here's why it works so well. If you think about when you tell a story, you know, and we've tried this in commercial real estate where somebody's like getting eight seconds on the phone and they're thinking about hanging up the phone. And when we're telling people the logical reasons for why they should work with us, all the features, all the details about what we do, they're thinking with their logical mind. When I tell a story, brain has no idea. The logical brain has no idea how to interpret a story. So what it does is it almost short circuits and allows me to speak to the emotional mind. The emotional mind has no understanding of what's true or not. What the emotional brain's trained to do is listen to a story and interpret what the moral is. So they assume all the detail is fact. I mean, let's think of a great example of this. If I was to tell you the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, I mean, this is a story we've all heard, right? How many people said, hang on a second, bears don't have beds, they don't eat porridge, and they don't sit in chairs? No one thinks about that, right? They're listening for the moral of the story. And it's the same thing. When I tell you a story about a customer, no one's going, well, hang on a second, that wouldn't work in my industry, or I don't have time to listen to this story. You know, we did this in high-octane commercial sales where people were getting hyped up on coffee, hammering the phones, and getting eight seconds on the phone. I convinced them that using stories would make a difference. They were getting up to two and a half minutes on the phone before people even triggered that they didn't have time for this, right? Because it just completely diffuses the logical mind. The second thing is when you tell a story. Now, for me, One of the things I do when I deliver a keynote presentation or I speak in a podcast, because I am very introverted, is for me, the hardest thing is the initial relationship element. So I know that if I can start with the story out of the gate, I'm going to feel pretty confident about things. And the reason for that is studies out of Princeton highlight that it actually creates this what's called artificial rapport, right? It actually stimulates a chemical in our brains and it actually allows our brains to synchronize. So what that means, I mean, ever since, you know, somebody's walked into a new person and said, let me tell you about my travels, we've just learned that's the way we develop relationship through story. So it gives you this real power because you know that that person is feeling like they have a relationship with you because you've told a story. And then the third, this is amazing for me, studies out of Stanford highlight people retain 22 times more information when embedded into a story. So if I'm going to tell you all of these reasons for why you should work with me, you're probably not going to retain much. But when I tell them in a story, again, going back to the Goldilocks and Three Bears, if I told you at random, remember chairs, porridge, and beds, a year from now, I'm going to come and ask you what those items are. And more than that, I'm going to ask you what order they came in. You're not going to remember, but you know that she sat in a chair, then she ate some porridge, and she slept in some beds. We remember it from how long has it been since we've heard that story? Because when it's embedded into a story, we remember it. And that's what's really powerful. Because for me, I knew that even if I went up against 10 other sales reps that had all seen this customer within the same week, I knew that they would remember more of what I told them than all of the other salespeople combined because I used and leveraged the power of story. And that gave me a huge advantage. Now, the best example I can give you is I had a client out of Austin, Texas, actually, a guy called Alex Murphy. And he had a chronic star. He struggled to make a six-figure income. And his biggest issue, though, was when he actually did get a meeting with a client, he would explain all the value and they seemed really excited in the meeting. And then they'd ask him to write a proposal. So he went home diligently and he wrote this big proposal around, you know, all the wonderful things that he could do for people and all their options. And then he'd wait and he'd wait and he'd wait and he'd heard nothing back. And then eventually he'd find out they went with somebody else or they decided not to do it, which is pretty common when most people think about a lot of the sales that they've done. And so he came to me and he's like, well, I find getting a customer to speak to me hard enough. I've got a chronic startup, but worse than that, I mean, nothing. It's like a hit with a mallet when I find out they went with somebody else when I thought everything went so well. So what can I do to improve my process? And what I did is I said, well, tell me what happens in this sales meeting. He said, well, they tell me every single thing that they want to achieve. I start giving them all of their options because I love what I do. And at the end of that, when he starts telling me this, I'm like, is that about when they ask for a proposal? He's like, yeah, that's exactly when. And I said, for you, what you're doing is you're over-reforming the customer with all this mindless tech jargon that they don't even need. 
What we need to be doing is telling them a story of someone that had those wants and needs that you delivered a great result for. So what he would do is he would start by asking great questions, and then he would tell them a story of a corporate company just like them that really wanted to utilize video to take themselves to the next level, and they were struggling to find a company that worked for them. They trusted Alex. Alex delivered this and got a phenomenal result, right? And that was the story that he used, and his close rate went through the roof. He never even got asked to do proposals anymore. He would just, you know, part of our sales process, don't write a big proposal full of ridiculous information. Just remind them of the story, give them a few dot points, and give them a price. But he used to close a lot of the deals in the room that he would never do before. So all of a sudden, this is a guy that went from struggling to make six figures between him, his wife, his dad, a staff member in an office. So there wasn't a lot to go around. So he was nearly a million dollar business within seven months, right? So a huge shift in his business. But also really the power of story, we called him the narrative strategist. He focused predominantly on tech industries newly funded. And what he would do is go to these networking events and, you know, he would speak to people about video, but obviously he didn't call himself a videographer. They would ask him what he did. And he said, oh, I'm the narrative strategist. And people would be like, well, that's interesting. What exactly is that? And he said, well, you know how a lot of people kind of go into business for themselves and they've got this great idea and they create this great technology and they believe that informing their clients about it is going to be the key to that. So they start utilizing video. And what you'll find is after, you know, six, 12 months, they've invested all this money into video and they're not really seeing the results for that. And kind of most people tend to believe these days that video don't work. And their tech companies are going to be like, yes, 100%. We tried video. It didn't work for us. We're never using it again. He said, well, actually, the reason why we find that happens is what they tend to do is they hire a different company for every video. There's no overall narrative in all of those videos. It's like the brand has got multiple personality disorder because each director wants to put their own flavor on the video. And because of that, they don't have a sequential narrative that they continue to supply to their clients to allow them to get that traction. What we do as the narrative strategist is we actually create the narrative that we want the organization to share with their ideal customer demographic. Then what we do is we map in all those videos that need to be made. Now, you don't need to make those videos with us, but we do have an in-house team as well. All right, let me give you an example of a client that we worked with that was really struggling with video that we gave a positive result. And then they'll explain exactly this company that was struggling to utilize video had given up. The director had said something like, we're never using video again. Notice all the emotional elements of this story. That's the biggest thing most people don't tell in their stories. You know, I've worked with technology companies that like, oh, the customer wanted to move to the cloud. And so we moved them there. But they didn't mention the reason why they wanted to move to the cloud is because their servers went down just before Christmas and they couldn't run payroll and how stressful that was for the guy or the girl that couldn't pay anyone just before Christmas, the biggest spending period of the season, right? All those emotional elements. So the director has given up on video, never going to use it again, vows never to, right? Really articulate that problem. And then they decided to trust Alex. Alex implemented this strategy and then the ROI at the end and then the person that took the bet on them got a promotion. And they're like, oh, what an amazing story, right? Well, they don't say that, but they're like, wow, I want what that person has. Right. And then they work with them. And that's why story works so well. But what you need to do is you need to think of the best stories. And if I was to tell you a story, now the story I just told you of Alex and the story I just told you of Wendy, these are stories I've told before. These are stories I've prepared before. And because of that, I can do them concisely. I can tell the Wendy story in about four or five minutes, or I can tell it in 20 minutes. And I've practiced all of those different versions. Sounds like a lot of work. Think about how much work it is going to all these sales meetings, chasing people up and getting told no and how emotionally tolling that is. I just practiced a few stories. I use the same stories all the time because then I don't have to learn more. I know these stories work and I get better and better and better at them. And because of that, I close deals. So what I'm suggesting to everybody that's listening today is firstly, you know, really go through the process of learning discovering your niche of willing to buy clients, creating that unified message. And as I said, you can do that at matthewpollard.com forward slash growth, but then realize that there is a sales process and you need to learn it. Otherwise, what you're doing is just rolling the dice every day. That's like going to Vegas and just throwing the dice. You want to have controllable results. And for that, you need a sales process. So as I said, you can get the seven-step process at theintrovertsedge.com and then really focus in on the story. Most people get the seven steps and go, oh, the story is the hard part. Focus on articulating the story. Don't gloss over that. It's the heart of the story. And a well-articulated story is really concise and laser sharp when you tell it. If you just do it over the cuff because you haven't written it out, you haven't practiced it, those stories just go on forever and they won't get you clients, which means it's a waste of time. Well, it's like the old adage of do the hard work first. You know, first thing when you get up, do the, the hardest thing you don't want to do. You know, get that story done first and then the rest of it should fall into place. Well, 
when you heard me speak, we talk about where I started. I mean, I was an introverted kid, reading speed of a sixth grader, no business being in sales, fell into a commission-only job because I lost my job before Christmas and there was no other jobs that I could get. And in Australia, we take a month off over Christmas because it's summer and Christmas at the same time. And it was 93 doors of getting rejected, getting told to get a real job, getting sworn at before I made my first sale. But within six weeks, I went from that to the number one salesperson in the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere by learning how to sell through a system by watching YouTube videos, right? So the information's been out there for a long time. I mean, Brian Tracy talks about the top 10% of all sales performers globally have a planned presentation. The bottom 80% just says whatever that comes out of their mouth, and that's why they struggle. So for the people listening, understand you just need a process, and it doesn't actually take as long. I mean, think about how long you spend at university or at trade school and practicing your functional skill to get to where you are today. It took me six weeks to go from no business, terrified being in sales, to the number one person teaching hundreds. And now through my book, thousands of people how to do it. It doesn't take as long as you think, but you do need to put some dedicated effort into it. Well, it sounds like we've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of work to do. I'll put links to everything that you mentioned in the show notes for this episode. So check that out at thebuildcycle.com slash podcast and just click on the link for this episode. And awesome, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Honored to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. So what's the takeaway? I think it's stop selling with facts and figures, start selling with stories. Matthew's process is fairly simple. Lure people in with your unified message, tell them a story about how someone similar to them was having a problem similar to their problems, then refine your pitch with A or B questions until they've convinced themselves that you are the best possible solution to their problem. The beauty of this is that there's no hard sales pitch. You don't even have to push them to buy. There are links to his worksheets at thebuildcycle.com slash podcast, and just click on his episode. I'm not going to sell you on why you should do this, but think about those times when someone's asked you, what do you do? And you stumbled through with some generic, boring blurb and how lame that felt. Use that pain as motivation to set aside a couple of hours this week, put it on your calendar now, and then do it. The first time you use it, you'll be glad you did. Also at the bottom of the show notes, I've put links to the Build Cycle social media channels and our page on iTunes, Stitcher, and others. Could you take two seconds and follow us and leave a quick rating? Thanks. Here's hoping you're building a great story and standing out. Until next time, keep building. <laughs>